so-called Equality Act this week, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, for your, your mercy upon this nation. While it sounds pretty good, we all desire that nobody be treated unjustly or with inequality. But this radical thing will seriously, seriously affect religious freedom. It will touch every aspect of our lives, education, employment, religious, everything. Our religious freedoms are under serious, serious threat. So I pray, Father God, that you would be merciful to us this day, Lord God, even if it fails in the house, Lord, it'll continue to be moved forward in various permutations. We know, Lord God, you are sovereign, you are in control, and we will not be silenced, that we will proclaim your truth. I pray that you would help us to treat people with justly and kindly and in a, in a, in a Christ-like manner. We have your law written on our heart to do that, and I pray that we would do so. So I pray, Father God, for such things. I pray for our, our senators, Lord, for Kristen Sinema and for Mark Kelly. Lord, I don't know exactly where they stand on the matter. Pray your grace be upon them, strengthen and keep them, Lord. Father, we pray for your persecuted church. Lord, as we see our voice in this nation being quickly silenced, we know that our brothers and sisters in various places, Lord God, suffer tremendously. Not just their voices are silenced, Lord God, but their lives are taken, their properties are taken, their families are taken. And we pray, Lord God, that you'd be merciful to our brothers and sisters, help them to stand strong. We thank you, gracious God, that you have given us such a cloud of witness. Help them, Lord God, to love you even more than life itself. Help us to do the same. We pray for our brother in Canada, Pastor Coates, in prison for the holding church above 15% capacity. Lord, we pray, Lord, that um, you would bless him and his family. I believe he's in maximum security. Prisoners get set free, but a man who will not obey a 15% capacity. Law is in prison. We thank you. Lord, we pray that he would be strong. We know that he can, he can be set free at any time. All he has to do is say, I won't preach. Father, your servant John Bunyan was in the same boat. But he held the gospel. Help us, Father God. I pray that you would, um, you would give him and his family strength. Pray, Father God, that he is able to, to love those who have kept him in prison and put this restriction upon him. Strengthen us, Lord God, to love you more than anything. So, Lord, be merciful to us this day, and we're grateful. Lord, these are heavy things, and yet we rejoice. We rejoice because you are the sovereign God. And, Lord, we've we, we know what comes, what's coming. And Lord, 
you are victorious, and we are in you. We give you praise and we give you thanks. Amen. All right, so if you will, we're working our way through the book of Numbers. And uh, this is uh, chapter 18, so actually this puts us halfway through the book. Woohoo! We're halfway done. Um, we've been in the book about six months, so um, based on my calculations, um, we've got about another six months to go. Uh, I'm, I'm not a math genius or anything like that, but it's just kind of my calculation. So we'll be here for about another six months. I hope you're enjoying it. I think it's been, it's been a blessing. I've learned so, so much. So uh, Numbers chapter 18. I just want to uh, remind you a little bit as we, as we continue on in this book that uh, Numbers is really about traveling through the wilderness. That the, in fact, we've entitled the sermon series, In the Wilderness. And it is about the people of Israel in the wilderness. They are no longer in Egypt, and they haven't quite made it to the promised land. And it is about this pilgrimage through the, the wilderness. And Paul, very specifically, in the New Testament, very specifically points out um, instances in the book of Numbers and say, these things were written for our good. So our mandate to understand the book of Numbers is for our good. It comes from Paul himself, says this is for our good. So just a general reminder of where we are in the book of Numbers. I don't suppose a whole lot of us are um, experts in the book of Numbers, so I just want to keep us all up to date as to what this book is about. But specifically, let me remind you where we've been, especially in chapters 11 through 16. I want you to see kind of the background of where we have been because 11 through 16 form the backdrop of our text today. And you'll recall in chapters 11 through 16, the people of Israel had left Sinai. They had been camped for a year um, at Mount Sinai. They had learned what it is to be in a covenant relationship with a holy God. They had learned what does it mean God had made a covenant with them. Basically, he says, I am your God and you are my people. And he says this, I am, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. And then he gives them nine under other commands. This is what it means for me to be God and you to be my people. I am your God. This is what I've done for you. This is now how you as my covenant people relate to a holy God who has redeemed you, who is Lord of all. And they spent a year learning about these, this God whom they are serving. And now they are traveling. They've left Sinai and they are moving their way towards the uh, promised land. This was maybe a three-week journey, um, but um, it kind of got diverted because of their rebellion uh, against God, and it's going to turn into a 40-year journey. So now we're kind of in that 40-year um, wandering. And one of the things that is highlighted this wandering, um, at least for, from verses or chapters 11 through 17, the thing that seems to dominate these chapters is that the people complain. They just gripe. We, we're not happy with the dietary variety that we have. We would like more dietary variety. We would like meat. 
We would like this. We want that. We don't like the leaders you've given us. We don't like that Aaron and Moses, they think they're boss over us. We don't like this. We don't like that. And God has dealt severely with their grumbling. Because remember, grumbling is not just... um, there is the sin of grumbling, but just remember where, where grumbling comes from because out of the heart the mouth speaks. These people do not believe God. That's the problem. They do not believe God. And so while their mouths say we don't like our leadership, they're saying that God has chosen incorrectly. God has brought us out here to die. They've even called Egypt the promised land. That's how upside down they have become. So that forms the, the background, and the immediate background was that the, uh, the people had come against the leadership of Aaron and Moses. And one of, the, one of the complaints was, well, we're all priests. Everybody can do Aaron's job. And God said, uh, no, not everybody can do Aaron's job. I have selected Aaron, and I have selected um, his family to do a particular task. And yes, in a sense, you are all holy, but that does not mean you are all high priests, and you cannot approach me any way you desire. You cannot come into my presence however you desire. And, well, a lot of people uh, paid the ultimate price. They died. They came against Moses. They said, who made you the boss? And, well, they died too. Eventually, praise God, the people at least temporarily came to a place of repentance. And we saw in chapter 17, verses 12 and 13, um, how they realized their sin. So that's kind of where we're going to pick up. So that's where we've been. Let me help you give a general idea of where you're going. If you have sermon notes, they will be helpful for you. If you do not have sermon notes, feel free to... They're on the back table in the foyer. But this will help you because... um, Basically, I've titled this Gifts of Ministry and Gifts for Ministry. The very first part, our first main section of our text today, we're going to be dealing with the gift of ministry, that God has given the priesthood as a gift to the people. So the the ministry of the priests and the Levites was a gift of God to the people. Not only was that Levitical priesthood a gift to the people, but actually being a priest was also a gift. And so Aaron and the Levites um, were gifted by being called into their vocation. So that's the gift of ministry. And then we're going to talk a little bit about gifts for ministry. That is, um, the people then respond by making sure that those who have been um, given by God to them for their good, that they're taken care of. So that's where we're at today. So I've called this gifts of ministry and gifts for ministry. And it's not number 16. Don't believe what I told you up there. All right, that's wrong. Um, it's, it's numbers 18. Um, so there was one other time that I was wrong. So, <laughs> so it, it happens. I'm only human. So, all right. So with that as our background, would you, uh, let's go ahead and look into God's word. I'm going to read chapter 18, and then we'll, we'll look in to see what God will have for us this day. Um, Numbers chapter 18. I think last week I said we were in Acts. I called it Acts, didn't I? So this week I'm, yeah, that was that one other time. Thank you. So. 
Numbers chapter 18, listen to the inerrant word of God. So the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. And with you bring your brothers also, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of testimony. They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, but shall not come near the vessels of the sanctuary or the altar, lest they and you die. They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, and no outsider shall come near you. And you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord to do the service of the tent of meeting. And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil. And you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift. And any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, Behold, I have given you charge of the contributions made to me, all the consecrated things of the people of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual due. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, every grain offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every guilt offering of theirs, which they render to me shall be most holy to you and to your sons. In a most holy place you shall eat it. Every male may eat it. It is holy to you. This is also yours, the contribution of their gift. All of the wave offerings of the people of Israel, I have given them to you and to your sons and to your daughters with you as a perpetual due. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. The first ripe fruits of all that, that is in the land which they bring to the Lord shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem, and their redemption price at a month old you shall redeem them. You shall fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. But the firstborn of a cow or the firstborn of a sheep, the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But their flesh shall be yours as their breast that is waved in the sight as the right thigh are yours. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do their service in the tent of meeting so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear sin and die. 
but the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the people of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel." And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. So shall you present a contribution to the Lord from all of your tithes, which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron and the priest. Aaron the priest. Out of all these the gifts to you, you shall present every contribution due to the Lord. From each its best parts is to be dedicated. Therefore you shall say to them, when you have offered it from the best of it, then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor and produce of the winepress. And you may eat it in any place, you and your household, for it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have contributed the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy things of the people of the Lord, lest you die." And this ends the reading of God's holy word, and may God bless the reading of his word. Well, in order for us to get a really good understanding of this, um, we should understand the immediate context in which it is given. And I've, and I've put chapter 17, verses 12 through 13 up here, because I think that this is critical for us to understand what's going on here. First thing is you should remember that the people had sinned greatly against God. He had... Um, and people had died, plagues had broken out, uh, earth had swallowed, fire had come down from heaven. It was a rough couple of days. People had sinned greatly, and God um, eventually demonstrated to, to the people that Aaron is his high priest. And through um, God's miraculous workings, the people came to realize that they had been opposing God, and this is their response. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? What are we going to do? They realize we have sinned against the holy God and we are going to die. And it is in that context that we have chapter 18. Upon realizing that they cannot approach God on their own terms. They lament. We are dead men. There had been no fear of God before their eyes. And let me just make a quick note. We try to avoid this idea of fear of God as though it is a negative thing, so we don't talk about it. And sometimes we even redefine and say, well, fear really means awe or respect, which it can. But sometimes it just means fear. These people feared God. God had been wiping them out because they approached him on their own terms. They did not fear God. They came to him on their own terms. And the natural result of approaching of a sinful human being, approaching a holy God, is they will die. Did you notice how often our text said, lest they die, lest they die, lest they die? 
they finally realize we have not feared God and we are dead men. Here's what God has done. God has taught them to fear. And now in chapter 18, God is going to retrain them how to relieve those fears. What does the song say? It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. This is, this is law and grace. I hope we get this concept. This is so important for us to understand as believers. This idea he has taught them to fear. Now he's going to retrain them how to relieve those fears. This is law and grace. The law condemns. The law does exactly what the law is supposed to do. We have this idea that the law is in the past. No, the law does what it's supposed to do. It condemns us. It shows us a holy God. And then we're broken and we say, oh my goodness, woe to me. I am a sinful individual. What will I do? Then comes grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who who then releases that fear. Law and grace. This is... Chapter 17, 16 and 17 is law. Chapter 18, the first part is going to be grace. See, one of the things that we're going to see in chapter 18, especially the first eight verses, is that long before they sinned, God had provided a provision. That's good to know. Long before they rebelled against the holy God, God already had a plan in place so that when they sinned, I have a means of remedy so that they will not die. Long before their rebellion, God had made provision. And this is what we see in chapter 18, especially verses 1 through 7, that there is a priesthood, that there is a means, that there is is a means by which those who have fallen short of God's glory will be forgiven of their transgressions. And so this is the gift of ministry to the people. You see, the priesthood and the Levites, the Levites were those who assisted the priests. They were given, they were given by God as a gift to protect the people from approaching a holy God in a manner that would bring about their death. And so, and we talked, we've talked about this a lot in the book of Numbers, especially in chapter 3. We saw this very, very prominent. But the people, the priests and the Levites stood as intermediaries. They stood between a holy God and a sinful people. And they brought reconciliation and they brought, they were intermediaries so that people would not approach a holy God in their sin and die. This is God's grace gift. I am making sure that you will not die when you come into my presence. I know we have just, challenge, just challenges with this idea. Well, no, God loves everybody. He would never do anything like that. You do, you've misread scripture. And, and here's one of the things I think that happens is that we, we, we've swung, sometimes the pendulum swings too far one way or the other. And perhaps there was a whole lot of hellfire and brimstone preaching in a generation uh, in the past, and then it swung, well, let's start talking about God's grace, and now it's all God's grace, and it's like, let me tell you, God is not divided. God is one. And he is not 
the God of judgment and justice one day and then the God of grace another day. He is both. And we do, we do an error when we split God up and we divide him into compartments. And so God has provided a means by which the people are protected that they not approach him in their sin. And here's the challenge for the priesthood. You and your sons and your father's house shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary. Basically, here's the responsibility, Aaron. If you don't do this the way I command you, you will bear the iniquity of the people. So this is a... A major, major responsibility. You will bear that iniquity. It is no small thing to be called to be one who presents um, well, in these days, it was no small thing to be a priest. You better take it seriously. So, let me just quickly remind you a, a little bit of the differences between priests and Levites. Um, and we talked about this a while ago, but it will be helpful. I just don't want anybody to be lost here. Um, so, I want you to look at this chart. You need to memorize it, and we'll come back after a church today, and I'll ask you to reproduce it exactly. Um, if you don't, then I'll preach for another hour or two. So, um, anyways... Um, yeah, some of you are saying, oh, right on. I'm not going to remember that. We have people who actually like hearing sermons and like long sermons. It's like, okay, I like giving long sermons. So, um, so priests and Levites, there, there, there were priests, and priests functioned within the, the tabernacle, the, the inner sanctum of the tabernacle. The tabernacle had kind of a, a, a tent in which the holy things were placed, and that's where the, that's where the priest could perform. The Levites were um, were helpers. They helped the priests. They were all of the tribe of Levi, but not everybody who was of the tribe of Levi was a priest. So I think in, in your notes I put this, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So Aaron, which is way down in the left corner of my, of my chart there, he is the high priest, and from his line come, comes the priesthood. Um, they served in that inner sanctuary. They served and offered sacrifices. But out in the outer court, the, uh, the Levites, they kind of were their helpers. They, they were the ones who carried the tent through the wilderness. They were the ones who uh, just they even carried the tent pegs. And so they would help Aaron and assist him and enable him to do his job. And so we should understand that because the priests are going to... Uh, serve one function and the Levites serve another function. The Levites are given to the priests as a gift of God. And um, so I just did, thought we should redefine or remind everybody what we mean when we're talking about priests and Levites. I don't want to assume that everybody understands this concept, but this is what it is. So here is the general responsibility the general responsibility of the priests and the Levites was to guard the tabernacle. That's what they did. They guarded the tabernacle. If any violation of the priests, if there was any violation, 
the priests and Levites would die. They were to guard against anything unclean. In fact, it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 2, 15, we see this exact same phrasing used. I think I have that text. See if we have it. There it is. The Lord, God speaking to um, Adam, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Exact same word. He was to keep, work it and to guard it. His job was to guard the garden against any vile, unclean thing entering. Adam failed. Adam was to guard the garden, and yet he allowed this unclean creature, and the result was death. The priests and the Levites, you are to guard the tabernacle against any unclean thing. The result, if you do not do this, is you will die. This is not new. It goes back to the garden. And so this was their general responsibility to guard the tabernacle. This was a ministry. It was ordained by God. It was ordained by God for the sake of his people. Folks, what the people in numbers are learning is that all roads do not lead safely to God's presence. The people thought, oh, well, we can just approach God however we want. We're all holy. We're all priests. And we can just come to God however we want. They learned very, very um, quickly that not all roads lead safely into God's presence. And in a culture that, that we live, well, it's not just this culture. It's been the, the way mankind is because of our fallenness. Our desire is to cast off all authority and to cast aside uh, the the means that God has given us for approaching him, as though we can approach God however we want. But God has given a gift of grace. Aaron and his descendants are the individuals and is going to be the family by which men can approach a holy God in a way that they can do so in fellowship with that holy God and that he will be their God and they will be his people and there will be a reconciliation and there will be a great relationship but that comes through the priesthood that God has established. We need to understand that Aaron and his descendants did not earn this position. They did not get this position of being a priest because they were the most righteous ones. In fact, go back to Genesis chapter 34 and you'll see that um, Jacob cursed Levi. But now God, by his grace, has granted them the privilege of his presence. Like I said, the, the gift of ministry, they are granted the very presence of God. That's what they get. You will minister before God in his, in his presence. And we learn that God's grace was greater than their sin. I handled that very, very briefly and kind of superficially, but let me draw a couple gospel connections before I move along. The first one is um, I'm calling the ministry of exclusion. The ministry ex of exclusion. And what I mean by that is that we do not have priests today in our church, but God has given us elders and deacons. 
And the leaders of Christ's church are still called to include and exclude, just like the priests were. They were called to include. If you come in a right manner, you can be included. If you are unclean, you are excluded. And we learn this basically in the book of Matthew where God talks about, Jesus talks about the keys of the kingdom. And I'm not going to go into great detail about that, but um, basically it is the authority to include and exclude. Elders guard against careless intruders who would trespass on the sanctity of God. And elders do this through the preaching, through preaching and through church discipline. In other words, it is serious business to be a teacher and an elder in a church. When we talk about being, being part of, of a local assembly, it's like, are you a believer? Are you a believer? And we have the opportunity and the right to, uh, to say this person is a believer and this person is not. Why James says, let not many of you be teachers. I've told this story before. And um, before I tell this story, let me just ask real quickly, Sawyer, Sawyer, is that camera on? Okay, so the camera shut off and everything. Okay. I've told the story before. I've been here now a little over 20 years. I'm in year number 21, and I'm usually a fairly sound sleeper. I don't have trouble sleeping most anywhere, except in cars and planes. But anyways, I sleep well. The night I accepted this position was a night that I did not sleep. It was as though the gravity of what I was about to do was weighing upon me. It's like, oh my goodness, I am now responsible to a certain degree of whoever the Lord entrusts to me. It was a, it was a privilege, but it was, it was a weight. I know Charlie has felt it. It's a weight. It kept me awake. We have this serious business God's holiness and mercy are to be clearly displayed. And so the fear of God is not a topic we avoid. Numbers 18 taught Israel to fear God and how God relieves those fears. And I pray that we do the same. We teach about how we come, our condition. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins. And it also says that the wages of sin is death. That should be a sobering reminder to all of us, but that's not all the scripture says. It says that we are by nature children of wrath and dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with him in Christ. By grace, you've been saved. It says that the wages of sin is death. Well, that's not all it says. That the wages of sin is death. But the free but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so the first point is this idea of ministry of exclusion. The second point, I think, or application is the centrality of the cross. When I think about the people coming into the tabernacle area in the book of Numbers and they're coming in, the, the sacrificial system just dominated everything. It was in the middle of their camp. The smell of sacrifices was constant. It was not clean, fun work. Being a priest, being a Levite, I mean, you'd be covered in blood by the first 30 minutes of your day. And the smell of death and burning is just constant. It was a continual reminder of the wages of sin. It was a continual reminder of the wages of sin. And this is why in our services we feel it is good that we focus upon the cross. A constant reminder of the wages of sin. In fact, it is the answer to our spiritual exclusion. We come. Paul says, I'm determined to do nothing but to preach Christ and him crucified. I know nothing but the cross. Constant reminder of what our forgiveness cost us. So in other words, coming into God's presence is not a casual thing. And and I'm saddened. I'm saddened when I see so many church services and it's just, I don't even know if it's church service. Um, Just a show. It doesn't mean we can't laugh and enjoy. I think we should enjoy being here. I think that it is both joyful and serious, but you will not see me ziplining in. And Zane, I know you want to buy me a fog machine. And I know that that's pretty awesome, but, um, but we probably won't have a fog machine. Because we come into God's presence not casually. We come in joyfully. We don't come in casually. We come in boldly. Gee, God's, God has said this. You can come into my presence boldly. Boldly come into my presence. This does not mean come in demanding. This means that I can come in with confidence that I will not die. I can walk into the presence of a holy God and he will say, welcome, son. Welcome, my daughter. I'm glad you're here. This is why we can come boldly, because I will not be cast out. Why? Because all of my sin was laid upon the cross of Jesus Christ, and I'm forgiven of my sin. I do not come casually. When we gather on the Lord's Day worship, we come joyfully and boldly, but we do not come casually. Lord's Day worship should be both joyful and serious because we are responding with gratitude for what our great high priest has done for us. That's just a quick summary of the the first part, the gifts of ministry. I want to talk a little bit about the gifts for ministry. There was a great responsibility in serving as a representative of God's people. But there was also a means of support since the priests and Levites did not receive an inheritance. In fact, it says the Lord is your inheritance. And so when the 12 tribes went into the land of promise, they did not get a portion of land. The Levites got no portion of land. Um, The Lord said, I am your inheritance. This is, the Lord is their portion. 
They are to be satisfied with that. So then, if the, the priests and the Levites get no land, how are they to survive? Well, I'm glad you asked. Scripture tells us, for the priests, they were to receive a portion from the sacrificial system. They would burn a portion, they would offer a portion, and the rest of it they were allowed to keep and they were allowed to eat. The priests would receive a part of their meat or their grain or their oil or wine offering that was sacrificed, and then they would be able to keep the rest. There were clean animals and there were unclean um, animals, and, those, um, and there was a, a way of um, the, the clean animals would be redeemed by money, um, and so they would pay, and the, the priests were allowed to keep a portion of that. Um, they, got no, they got no property. The Levites also um, were provided a living by the people. Again, they got no property. And they, there was an annual tithe, and a tithe is just t- means ten or a tenth. So it's a tenth. And so there was an annual tithe of agricultural products and pr- produce from the herds, and they, the people were to give their first and their best, and the, the Levites would receive a bit of this. Um, and, and when they brought their tithes, this, this was, a, this was a, an act of faith. And, and the reason why is because if I'm bringing my first fruits, which is what they were supposed to give, um, what if everything else fails? Well, that's always possible. It's risky. So they're giving their best, and they're giving their first, and then the Levites actually tithe of their tithe. They received some of the tithe from the people, and then they took a tenth, and the best, and they gave it to the priest. And so um, everybody is learning how to give. That's basically um, what I mean by gifts for ministry. So the people, the, the priests and the Levites had a very serious task, a very serious job. They were given no land, no inheritance, and yet God made sure that they were provided for and the people provided and through, through the people um, providing for them. And so God basically has the priesthood to be singularly focused on ministry to the people. Let me uh, make a few gospel connections here. And uh, First of all, we should note this. It is God who calls his leaders. It is God who calls his leaders. Just like God called priests and Levites, you couldn't just say, well, you know what, I feel like, you know, I, I think I'd like to be a, a priest one day. I think I'm going to go and study and become a priest. That was not an option. You were a priest because you are, were of the line of Aaron. That's, that's what it was. And you were a Levite because you were of one of the other clans from Levite, but you didn't get to pick and choose that. God called that particular tribe, and I believe God continues to call his, his leaders. Um, and I think this is the function of the local church. The local church. In other words, people just can't, I don't think it's right for people to say, well, I'm just going to be a preacher just because I feel like it. But as people are involved in the local church, the local church sees men who are qualified. And we say, yes, that person is qualified. And they may say, you know what, I I think I want to pastor a church. I think I want to be an elder. And the whole congregation, uh, we see those individuals. And we recognize that. I think when you look at our elders, the elders of our church, I don't think anybody 
and say, well, we just picked them because they happened to show up three weeks in a row and, well, they're living and breathing and they're nice. But no, they were men who, when we put forth, I think everybody ended up saying, yeah, we recognize that, that calling. We recognize that giftedness. That's there. There's no doubt, right? When Charlie began pastoring out at Reconciled Church, did anybody question that? Nobody questioned it. It's like, yeah, of course, of course. Everybody recognizes God's call. This is a function of the local church. But God calls his leaders. The second issue we want to deal with is the issue of Christian giving. If you're visiting us with us today, people might ask, how often do you talk about money? And I always say, as often as it's in the Bible, we preach through a book of the Bible. I make no apologies for talking about finances. And we talk about it as often as we come across it. So here it is. The question that people generally end up asking me is, um, there's a lot of, well, at least in this to- on this topic, is should I tithe or not tithe? How much should I give? Those kinds of questions. Well, let me just mention some thoughts here. Let me address the issue of to tithe or to not tithe. That is the question. I believe that uh, a strong case can be made for the continuation of the tithe, which is 10% in the Bible. Um, now, before you send me all of your articles and your YouTube videos and, and write me long letters about how the tithe is ended in the New Testament, um, just trust I've already stu- I've studied this well. And I do believe a strong case can be made for the continuation of the tithe. First of all, Jesus assumes it when he says, tells the Pharisees that you tithe mint and dill and you should do this, but don't neglect the weightier matters of the law. Also, um, the author of Hebrews points us to the fact that the tithe precedes the Moses. Um, goes certainly back to Abraham, so it's not a mosaic thing. That's one. But let me give you some other New Testament principles. I think that we could, you know, and I know a lot of people would say, well, it doesn't extend into the New Testament. Let me just, and I'll let you debate that. We can, we can sit outside on the porch and debate it and, and talk about it. But let me tell you kind of where I land and, and my thoughts, um, because let me give you some other New Testament principles. The first New Testament principle we, we want to establish when we talk about Christian generosity I think the first place we need to go is 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. And listen to what Paul writes. He says, he's talking about a, a benevolence gift to uh, some starving, to, to uh, the Jerusalem church that is, being pers- that is dealing with a famine. And he's saying, I, I need to take up an offering and take it to them. I hope that when I come by and pick up the offering from you, it's generous. But then he says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also generous. Here it is, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want you to note what Paul just does. He ties generosity to Christ. Christ had everything and he became poor so that you could be um, blessed. So our, our example is Christ. 
that's our first thing. That's the first New Testament principle, is that our example is Christ, who did what? Gave everything. So, yeah, everything is God's. That's the first thing we need. Is now you're starting to say, well, that 10% sounded a lot better than it did. I kind of like that 10% thing. No, everything you have is God's. You own nothing. You are a steward of whatever you have. Remember, when the people were in the land of promise, they did not own the land. It was God's land. They were tenants. Just simply tenants. Everything you have, your wife, your kids, your job, everything, your intellect, your ideas, they are God's. Christ gave everything. There's our standard. That's where we start. A hundred percent. Don't worry, I'm not going to stop there. But he's our example. The next example that we see comes from 1 Corinthians um, 16, 14, which just really talks about whatever we're going to end up giving is planned, regular, and proportional. So Paul talks about on the first day of the week when I come by, when I, you know, the stuff that you've set aside for this gift that you're going to give, in other words, it was planned, it was regular, and it was proportional. Set aside whatever you have. It wasn't haphazard. Well, you know what? I got 10 bucks today. That'll do. Planned, regular, proportional. Remember, everything you have comes from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 4. Or one through four. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And so Paul is just saying, listen, set some stuff aside. I'm going to send some messengers. They're going to pick it up. And if you want, you can send some folks just to make sure that there's accountability. Send some folks along. If you want me to go along and accompany the, 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 uh, um, the gift, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. So basically, it was planned. Uh, put some aside. It's proportional as you prosper. Another principle for Christian giving we find in the scripture is that it is cheerful and without compulsion. And I think this would probably be the, the, the biggest problem with the tithe is that it seems to be compulsional. Make sure you do your 10%. But the Bible does say the one who sows sparingly reaps sparingly and the one who sows generously reaps generously. It should be cheerful. Cheerful. And it should be without compulsion. We make no mandate on you. We're not going to look into your bank account. We're not going to send you a bill. All right? You know it's between you and the Lord. I pray that you are generous. I pray that you're generous for your own sake. God has taken great care of us. We, we are blessed. We've been, we've been so blessed. Cheerful and without compulsion.
get myself in trouble. Yeah, I might work it in later. I don't have much longer to go, though, um, so I have to be quick. Too often times, I think people are thinking to themselves, I wonder what the bare minimum I can do to please God and be kind of in line in my giving. I think that's the wrong question. If you're looking at what's the bare minimum, your heart's in the wrong place. Uh, and I tell this, this, this story also. I, I've been here 20 years. All my stories are old, right? So maybe you haven't heard them. But after we sold our business, um, and I'd paid off most of my, my short-term expenses, there were still some, some long-term expenses that I had, and I was able to, to push those out. But, but I received a, a, a payment uh, for my business, and, um, and I had it all figured out how I would use this to pay off some of my long-term debt, and I was all excited. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to make it, pay off my debt, and then, man, everything else after that's going to be just in my pocket. And I was lying in bed at night, and, and by the way, just for your own personal, I don't know if it matters, but um, I, I think 10% is a nice figure, so I think that that's the, a good amount for, for my wife and I. And the Lord said, well, what about the 10%? I'm like, oh, I didn't factor that in. What am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to pay off my debt. What am I going to do? And I said, oh, God, please don't make me. Hey, I'm human. Don't make me. But in that one particular instance, I was faithful to do as I believe the Lord had called Simone and I to do. And it was a joyful thing. Going into it, it was not joyful. And once it was done, I'm like, oh, man, I'm so... There was a release. There was a freedom. It's like, I don't need to treat money the way I have been treating it. I, I don't need to be in bondage to this thing. I can be giving. I can be generous. Something broke. I can... It was a joy now. I'm still not as generous as some, uh, some folks, man. You guys are just great givers. Uh, and this church has been good. We've never, ever had an issue. People have said... Well, we have a need where we said, well, we don't have, let's do it. We've always been, let's do it. So, um, too often times we're asking, what is the minimum that I can get away with? I think your heart's in the wrong place, and I would pray that perhaps maybe you can break that by just being generous. You'll be amazed what God might do in your heart, and so, um, so that we can give generously and without compulsion. And it is proportional, and I think proportional is good. I Sometimes when we talk about ties at 10%, and I've often used this example, it's like, you know, I think a family of four making $30,000 a year, maybe 3000 which is 10%, is a little too much. That might be hard. But a family of four making 300000 I don't think 30000 is enough. Just my thoughts. Again, that's just, I think the family of four making 300000 should be doing way more than 10%. The family of four making 30, maybe not. It should be proportional. See, giving is a spiritual issue. That's why we talk about doctrine a lot here, because everything we do flows out of what we believe. Giving is a spiritual issue. Paul ties it to the person of Christ. Paul ties it to the person of Christ. And then finally we get to um, 
the, the next element of Christian giving, and that is the worker is worthy of his wages. And uh, this can be self-serving, but if you've been here long, you know that you know my heart. If you haven't been here long or you're visiting, I hope you'll understand our heart. When it comes to taking care of those who are serving vocationally, um, the Lord said to those who are carrying out his mission that the worker is worth his wages. Paul then appeals not to the tithe, but to the Old Testament um, proverb, basically, that says, do not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. In other words, while the, the ox is working, let him eat. The worker is worthy of his wages. And so, as Christians, if this is your church home, you know everything. If this is not your church home, wherever you go, be generous. Make sure that those who are serving there vocationally um, are, are well taken care of. Um, I don't think that we should live lavishly. I don't think we should be broke. Um, if you live in a wealthy area, obviously the salary might be higher just because there's higher income. But if it's, if it's in an impoverished area, the, the wage will be less just because that's the way it is. If you're serving in an impoverished area and you're living in, you know, a mansion, I think there's a problem. So that's the first thing. The worker is worthy of his wages. The second thing is there needs to be enough to take care of the poor, or take care of those who are in need. And so Christian giving is to maintain the expenses of ministry and then also just, we need to give to the poor. We need to give to those. We've been blessed here. We have a benevolence fund here, and um, it's fairly healthy. Um, so now everybody's going to be emailing me saying, hey, <laughs> it's healthy. We try to be wise with it. But we've never, to my knowledge, this is probably the most generous church that I've ever seen. When there's a need, it gets taken care of. And somebody, especially within the church, those who are part of the church. And we've never argued about that. If I come to the church and say, hey, so-and-so has a need, it's like, get it done. Get it taken care of. Get those people taken care of. People in our community, we get them taken care of the best we possibly can. Do we get abused sometimes and do we get taken advantage of? I'm sure. But we need to have money set aside for the poor. That's part of Christian giving is so that we, that and we can support missionaries. Um, and, and do other work. It's not just about maintaining this building, but being able to send people out and proclaim the gospel in other places. So anyways, I think that's probably um, enough on all of that. So really just more or less shared some heart issues uh, today as we looked at our text. It is the gift of ministry that God has given priests and Levites as a blessing to the people. And as a result, the people return and bless that gift so that they can continue to minister and serve. And this is the means by which God has provided um, for his people that they um, are able to come to God on his terms. So I'll conclude with this. I hope I just didn't ramble today. I pray that it was... Um, directed and meaningful.
and um, probably a little bit different from what I, my normal method of preaching, but let me conclude with this. I'll conclude point number one, the believer is to be generous and Christ is our example. So he's our example. Second, and finally, the Christian community is to guard the gospel. This is our job as a church. My job and the job of the elders is to guard the gospel, but it's also the congregation's job to guard the gospel and to make sure that nothing vile and unclean perverts it. This is what we do as a church. So, Father, we come before you this day, and we uh, are grateful. We gra- we're grateful for the gifts that you've given us for ministry, and we're grateful that, for the gifts you've given us of ministry, Lord God, that they are important for us, and you've blessed us. So, Lord, be merciful to us this day, and let us love one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, and we will uh, sing this final song. that is great.
today comes from 2 Peter. And it is, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed and have a great day. Greet one another.